What's the difference between a partnership and a vendor? How do you know what kind of ROI you need on your marketing? How do you transition from a traditional advertising world to a digital space? What's the lifetime value of your customer? And how do you solve those problems in a way to reduce churn and grow a team in a relational way? That's the conversation that I have with Tim Burke. There's a lot of things that we cover today. Uh, he is the founder of Conduit Digital. And uh, we had a lot of highs and lows. Uh, we even talked about a time where we had to let go 40 people at one time in an old agency. So without any further ado, I think you're going to really enjoy this. Here's my conversation with Tim. Hey, Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Jay. Appreciate it. So I'm excited to dig in and just learn about your uh, business experience and insight and wisdom and difficulties along the way. And, and you can share with our audience. It's going to be really valuable. Uh, to start, how long have you worked for yourself? So had the title of owner or founder or some variation thereof? We started Traffic Builders, which was my uh, third or fourth iteration of working for myself um, about 12 years ago. And uh, I had always been in the what's considered the traditional media. I was uh, started up in radio. I was in radio for 20 some odd years and then got into um, uh, consulting television stations nationally uh, with uh, in their it, their ad sales teams, actually. So I would go out with the sales team and make sales calls and things of that nature. And then I wound up as the uh, director of sales for Comcast in the New York market. So I oversaw the entire New York market for them. And we uh, was, was there for about five years. And that was my last real regular job. And ever since then, I've worked in some iteration for myself. Cool. So your story is going to be interesting, I think, especially for those that are in the agency space, because you know, a lot of folks that have started in this space more recently didn't go through the transition of traditional advertising right. to modern times, which really are just a combination of all the things. It's not like it's one or the other. It's, it's all the things. So um, I'd love to hear a little bit about that journey for you. Like, what was it like going from radio to now you do a lot more, you know, digital things. So talk about that transition a little bit. The transition for me was, um, I always thought of myself as a marketer and not as a salesperson. So it was, it was more so for me going out and working with clients to make sure that they were getting back, you know, in some multiple, what they were, what they're paying into their marketing. And about when I was, when I was in consulting about 13, 14 years ago, we'd go out in the market and talk with clients and it was the, it was the advent and Jay, you know, that you were in it. Um, it people were just building their websites search was just really starting to come on. So we would go out with the television rep and have conversations about that client's marketing. And inevitably back then uh, they would say, Hey, you know what? I don't, television's great. It, I'm going to stay in television, but this website thing has got me confused or this search engine thing seems really interesting to me. And the TV reps didn't have any knowledge about how to speak to that. So I went back to the, to the group that I was working with. And I said, well, you know, listen, if we're being honest with ourselves, you call your salespeople, you know, marketing executives and they're television salespeople. So let's be clear about that. 
And if you want them to be marketing executives, then we've got to train them on really what's happening out there. And it's online. And, you know, if you're, if you're using television or radio, oftentimes, you know, even then it was to drive people to your website and you should fully understand what happens once they get there. So uh, long story short, there was no one in the company that I was working with the TV group that I was working with at the time uh, that could do that. So I said, I'll do it. And they said, what do you know about digital marketing? And I said, not as much as I need to, but a lot more than you think. So I uh, wound up starting Traffic Builders as the in-house agency for Gray Television, which at that time had about 20 some odd TV stations. And they grew uh, exponentially to become the second largest broadcast company in the country. And we scaled almost all the way with them. And at one point, you just get large enough that you're not going to outsource anything. So they wound up uh, actually buying us out. But so the journey was going out and talking with clients about the holistic nature of what they were trying to accomplish, working not PPC backwards, but ROI backwards, and trying to make everything work. Yeah, so good. A um, couple things as you were talking there that jumped out to me. One is you said you've always thought of yourself as a marketer instead of a salesperson, even though you're in sales roles, especially leading sales teams. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit more about that. I think there's like confusion for some people, especially those that aren't in our industry. Well, mm-hmm. even for some that are in our industry, what the difference is between marketing and sales? Like, how do you see that? And when you say you're more of a marketer than a salesperson, what do you mean by that? Um, I think it, it, it starts with your attention. You know, if your intention is to move somebody from here to here, it's a podcast, so that's not going to work. But ultimately, if you're if you're just trying to move somebody into saying yes, I that's pretty salesy to me. I think yeah. if your intention, if you start with the position that churn sucks, like when people decide to leave you, they're telling you you're not good enough or you didn't live up to their expectations, and that's just a bad day. I think it or it should be. Yeah. So. When I went out and, and, and talked with clients uh, as a salesperson, as a sales manager, um, and then as a sales leader, I thought of it from the perspective, you know, empathy is the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And if you can do that, you can see what those barriers are that they're facing and those challenges, and you can help them with that. And oftentimes in, the, in running their business, they didn't understand marketing and they were wasting money. Um, you know, or that money wasn't delivering what it should have been. And I think if you take it on as, you know, my job is to help them and I'm not trying to sound, you know, altruistic, but if your job is to help people that winds up to, you can develop relationships through that, Yeah. you know, and, and, and when mission is accomplished and you're actually able to have an impact on their business tangibly, um, they tend to stay with you. And so I, I just, I, I wanted to approach it early on in my career from that perspective and whether it was salesperson or sales manager or whatever it happened to be, the title was, um, that, that was what mattered. And I think to, to the point that you made earlier, digital marketing is not altogether that different. Yeah. It, it's about, it's about good marketing fu- fundamentals and making sure that it's ROI based and that it's delivering and all of those things. So, yeah, it's just a different vehicle. You know, we got to get attention and we got to acquire customers. That's it. You know, and if we're helping people do that, then we're helping them grow. And if we're helping them grow, we're helping them accomplish a dream and achieve their purpose. And there's some real meaning in that beyond just like 
pushing ad revenue or or anything else that we do physically. I always say we want to be a company rich in people, not just pixels. And um, I think that's kind of what you're relating to there. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk a lot about, you mentioned a few times ROI, return on investment. And I know a lot of people struggle with this when it comes to their marketing in their companies and understanding like, what what should I expect? Well, what is a good ROI? And I know the answer is often it depends, but but really like what are some things um, that you would consultive, consultively, I don't know if that's a word, but you're consulting with me, right? Let's just say I'm a, I'm a potential business owner and, and you're helping me understand what I actually need. So you are helping me and you're selling me at the same time, which is what a good salesperson does. But if you're going to help me understand what my ROI is, how do you talk through with that somebody? Because I think a lot of people get stuck there just not knowing what it what what's even realistic i think you're so you're so right i think it starts with getting the thought process going about creating positive return on investment right and and that starts with understanding you know uh maybe working backwards from the lifetime value of a customer but on the average transaction what are you making and how many people do you know do you close out of every 10 that come in and you know when you get people thinking about that they will uncover for you um okay the average client is worth xyz to me so if i'm going to spend $1000 i need to drive you know three or four my question with clients was always if you're going to spend $10,000 with me, what do I need to make happen for you so that it's a no-brainer that we continue? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I think that then, you know, and I, I don't know if you play golf or not, but I always say you want the first tee. And then it becomes that negotiation for what that number is, right? So what is that number from the client's perspective? And then let's talk about the reality of that number. How did they derive that number? How did they get that number? So that's that's where I, I always started with clients. And as we're able to hone in on that, you know, return on investment could look different to different business owners. Yeah, and that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, I, one of the things I find with a lot of small businesses, even those who have been in business for quite a while, and I struggle with this for, for a long time, is really understanding some of those numbers because it's so easy to get st- stuck in the, the muck of like, just the daily day-to-day grind of doing whatever the thing is yeah. versus stepping back. It's like somebody walks in the shark tank the first time. If they don't know their numbers, that they're out of there. You know, they're, those guys are not investing. And understanding like what is the lifetime value of a customer is so important. I, I always tell people one of the craziest stats out there is uh, the lifetime value of a Starbucks customer from a lot of the data that I've seen is somewhere around fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars. And um, you know, so the, the the individual purchase, an, an average sale might be seven dollars. Well, it depends on what part of the country you're in, but um, but let's say it's seven dollars. That's not the value of that customer. Starbucks wants to get that person to come back today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day, so that they're worth you know thousands or tens of thousands of dollars over time. Um, and it's really important for businesses to know those numbers. Um, one of the things you talked about, which I'd love to dig into a little bit, is the value of relation relationships with customers and that relational value and moving beyond just I'm trying to close the election. I want to, you know, create a relationship with somebody. Here's really where the question is rooted. I find that to be pretty natural when I'm the one doing it. And I think a lot of people who start businesses and run them do find that. But then as they grow, they realize they can't always be that person anymore because if the thing's going to scale, 
you can't have all the relationships all the time. Yeah. And so as you worked with other sales teams and even your your teams now um, mm -hmm. with conduit or traffic builders, how, how how do you instill that same relational value to your team so that they're doing what what you would have done yourself? I think it starts in the definition of relationship. Um, so that's different for everybody, I think. For me, um, I'm an extroverted introvert. So I'm not the life of any party, right? I'm not the person that goes and, you know, has to be best friends with the people that I sell to or my clients, right? What's more important to me is that is trust. If they trust me and I, I, I we try and earn trust throughout every, you know, interaction, I think trust for me is the pillar of the relationship. So if I can establish a trust bond with the people that I work with and they know that what, you know, my word is my bond and that I am trying to make those things happen that we discuss, because I'm not going to tell you something on the front end of the sale just to get it and then lose you on the back. Cause that creates that churn, which is again, a four letter word. So I think trust for me is, is where I like to, uh, solidify my relationships. And then if we wind up to go out for cocktails and we be beautiful, that's, that's just fun. Right. But the relationship for me means you hired me to do a job and I have to do that job above the a level at which I told you I could. Right. And, at, you know, and, and that's where trust could begin to form. You know, what I love about what you just said is you have to be able to do that job above the level of what, you told them you would do. And I always say that the biggest cause of all relational damage is misplaced expectations. Oh, if I expect this, you expect that. Those things are too far apart. Yeah. We have a problem. And if I'm a customer, I'm probably going to churn. Yeah. Um, and it still happens with us. man. I mean, there, there's no place, at least that I've found in 20 almost 25 years of business where I don't ever have any churn. But, but everyone, every client that leaves for any reason, I always tell the team, I know that it's easy to think like, that was the client's fault because they're this or because they're that or because of whatever. But in all separation of relationships, personal, business, or anything else, we mm -hmm. bear some level of responsibility. Now, we might think we only bear 1% of the responsibility, but we bear some level of it. So, 100%. When you have a client churn, because I'm, I mean, maybe you got a, maybe you don't ever have clients churn now, but I'm, I'm guessing every now and then people still leave. Yep. How do you debrief or coach with your teams yes. to go, hey, what do we miss here? How do we make this better next time? Well, it just first of all, to go back to something that you just said, um, the the education in 25 years of of selling for you and 40 for me is that singular word of expectation. Mm -hmm. It's the word that screws up more sales than any other single thing. So if you can agree on the expectation, now what you've done is set a bar mm -hmm. at, of which you can you you can try to, you know, to, to overarch, right? Like once the bar is set, you can, you can jump over that bar, but in the absence of that, it becomes very performance becomes subjective. So I, I love, love, love what you said about that. And I agree a thousand percent. I say that to the team here all the time. It's about expectation, set the proper expectation. If somebody thinks spending a thousand dollars is going to drive them a hundred thousand dollars in revenue, which doesn't often happen, let's make sure that we've got an expectation of which we can not only deliver, but, but work hard to over deliver. So love that you said that. Um, I think 
as it pertains to, you know, how you coach people when people leave. It's, I think it's human nature to say, oh, so-and-so is difficult to work with, like you said, right? There's every relationship is not just one-sided or one-dimensional. There's two people that create that, two, two entities or whatever it is that create that relationship. Um, yeah, I've been married for 38 years. My wife would tell me that she's right more than I am. But that's a, you know, that that's a thing that you work out over the course of time, right? And you're not always right. Your client's not always right. Um, it is it, when they leave, we've failed in some way on their expectations. Yeah. Yeah, we, we failed we, in some way or, or we we even could have failed in like the hiring process. Like it's, and I think it also often goes back to the very beginning, like from the sales perspective is like either like maybe we just shouldn't have worked with it. Maybe we're the wrong fit from the beginning. You know, maybe, maybe we just didn't set expectations right from the start or there were a thousand other things along the way that could have gone better. Um, I hate when clients leave because it's always <laughs> like, man, what did I do what did, too? What did we do? You know, what happened here? It's, I feel like I should have this mystery solved by now, but I do not. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not sure I do either, but I love what you just said, because if you, and it's not just the identification of the right employee, it's also the identification of the right client. Yeah, at, a right. Certain, at a certain point, you just know what you're good at. And if you continue to live outside your own, you know, you know your own lane, then you're going to be subject to a lot of, I think, you know, turbulence. So to us, as we identify agencies that work, you know, that we work best for, mm-hmm. we, we know some of those lanes now. Um, and our industry is fascinating because it changes all the time. So, yeah. so, so too does that, you know, what we need to bring to the relationship. But I think if you understand who you're, we just went through an exercise and we said, okay, we're going to establish our agency voice. So through a character diamond and then beyond, right? Here is our agency voice. Here is our ideal agency avatar. And we looked at it from a, from a, you know, a bullseye standpoint. What is the absolute avatar? We went through, we did age ranges. Jay, you were in this. Uh, we did age ranges of the CEOs and the size of the team and the length of time they've been in business. And we tried to build all of that to be able to say, this is our target. And we could go out two or three, you know, rings around that target. But if we get further than that, we're out of, we're out of everybody's comfort zone. So I, I love what you said. I think it's hiring the right people that, that, that can deliver upon that expectation that you set, but it's also have hiring the right clients. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a, it's always about what the right relationship is. And when people just start taking clients for money, just because they got to sell things, which I get. Like, I, I mean, look, in the early years, I had plenty of times where, like, I just needed to keep the lights on. And so anybody that was willing to give us a dollar for just about anything, we were ready to do it. But um, but as you grow in business, you've got to find a place for who is that ideal target, like you're talking about. And it's not, it's almost never going to be exactly what the ideal target is. Right. But you want to be as close to that bullseye, like you said, as you possibly can. Um, you know, uh, one of the things I love about this show is I get to interview people who have been in business for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, I joke with my wife when I first started, I was like, you know, the good thing is if nobody ever listens to this, uh, at least I'll get to talk to smart people who have been in business for a long time for, you know, it'd be great. Yeah. So, um, most businesses don't make it to a year, mm-hmm. a few more make it to five years, mm-hmm. but if you make it to 10 years, uh, usually, um, with some rare exceptions, you can kind of last as long as you want. I mean, that's not. 
you know, always true, but, but it, but it, there's a lot of the likelihood if you get to 10 years, you, you can be really successful. So you've, you've done that. You're, you're past that point. But along the way, my guess is there probably were a few times where you were like, I'm not sure this is going to work oh, or goodness. wow, this is a real problem. How are we going to dig ourselves out of this? Yeah. So tell us one of those stories. Just pick one where you kind of think back to that pops up to mind where you go, this was really hard just for the context of people that are listening to go, Hey, just cause these guys have been in business for a while. Um, They've been through some tough stuff too to get where, to get to where they're at. Oh gosh, yeah, hundred um, percent. I think the first hurdle, I guess, was I had come from the traditional marketing side, whatever that means, um, and then going into the digital side. You know, I didn't grow up with it. I'm sixty three, and you know, I didn't grow up in that technological environment. So I had to really feed my head fast and, and, and catch up to a lot of stuff. So I think the first hurdle was just kind of getting that started, but the, the bumps along the way, there was, there was one huge one. Um, we had, as I said, grown the, started the in-house agency for great television. And they, in that space, you're either buying or selling. And they were acquiring new stations constantly. So we constantly had, you know, new markets, new teams that we had to bring up to speed with and new clients that we had to onboard and, and, and help them grow and all of that. What happened with that was we grew and grew and grew internally. So we scaled both our process and our people to, you know, to try and stay ahead of that volume. What happened was we we became myopic almost because we had to be. Mm. And that was for the most part, our only client. So while we were working with a hundred odd TV stations, thousands of TV salespeople, it was one client. Mm. And when they made the decision and the, the board actually did that, they were going to take things internally. It was like, Whoa, you know, it was 95% of our business. Mm. And so we had 80 some odd people and the hardest day literally of my life, not, mm. not just because it was, uh, I had to bring 45 people in one room here and 40 people in the other room and say, you're welcome to stay. And unfortunately on this side, you have to go. Mm. And, and I've never had a day like that in my life. And I really don't want to at this point, believe me. So that was very, very difficult, but that was just the start of the difficulty. One of the things that we realized years before that was we called ourselves a very good factory. We were doing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, lower spend client work. And that was really fulfillment. And we were very good. I mean, you could make good things in a factory, right? Mercedes sure. built a factory. And we thought we were a very good factory. What we said was after the TV group went in-house was we said, we, we know what we want to do. We want to work with ad agencies. That's where we're energized. That's we just get along with them. We, they know their business and they know what they want. And we can, they're knowledgeable. And we just love that, that, that constituency. The problem was... We, did, we couldn't be a factory and work with ad agencies. We had to be a lab. Mm. And so while it sounds 
semantically easy to say. It was really, really difficult to do. It was a different level of person. It was a different, it wasn't fulfillment anymore. It was strategic and it was, you know, it was tactical strategy and it was, you know, building these great funnels that were delivering these great multi-channel campaigns. So it was really finding the right people. It was nurturing some of those people either up or out um, you know, of that factory oriented environment and then starting this whole new lab, you know, a number of years ago. And we continue to try and work on that, you know, that lab mindset all the time here, but that was, that was difficult. And, you know, letting people go is difficult. Uh, watching one of your clients leave that is 95% of your revenue is difficult. Um, but I think if you're convicted about what it is you do, you know, we, we just knew ad agencies. That's who we want to work with. And we had built through, I mean, we became, it doesn't matter, but we became the second fastest growing agency in the world, according to Adweek. Wow. After being the 21st fastest the year before that. Mm. We were able to do that because we built an internal process, right? That allowed us to vertically scale. So I always say, you know, when you go into New York or Philadelphia, Chicago, those skyscrapers, there's as much underground as there is above ground. And it's that process that allows you to scale. And we had built that. So we knew that we could scale with agencies. We just needed to make it more of a lab. So there were some challenges, take my word for it. Yeah, I'll bet. I mean, I can't imagine uh, having to let people go, but it, it's a good lesson for everybody listening to, to think about their own diversification of business. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you've only got one or two clients or three, maybe you really have more of a job. You're working for them. They just don't have the same commitment level to you that they might if you were an employee. Um, and there's some real risk in that. Last last year, the year before, I guess it was last year, uh, we had our biggest client, which made up about 20% of our revenue. So it wasn't, you know, wasn't 95 Large. by any means, but it was still big. You know, one fifth yeah. of your revenue is no joke. Um, and it was profitable revenue too. Uh, just decided to take everything in house. And it was the right time. It was the right decision for them. That's the thing. So like when I was consulting with them, I was like, this is the right call. And it is not good <laughs> for us at the agency. But but I knew it was the right thing. And, and they just become this elephant client. And we knew it. It literally, every year we would do these like dangers, kind of uh, strengths and weaknesses kind of things. and um, Or dangers, opportunities and strengths, I mean. And they had been on the danger list for the last two years. So we knew it. We knew it was coming. It just was a matter of time and having to work out of that. It's hard, but man, I, I feel like sometimes having to go through those hard things just gives you so much more empathy for other people running businesses. Cause I know everybody's got something different. People that listen to this, there's many agencies that listen to this, but there's many people that do all kinds of businesses from running a plumbing company to a, you know, electrical business to a doctor's office. Like there's, there's all kinds of folks. And um, anybody who's been in business long enough has been through some level of peril but diversification of, I think, both client base and even product set. Like y'all, y'all do this. You have all kinds of different things that you offer. So talk about how you've diversified product set over time, because you you do a lot more than just one thing, you know, and and how that maybe helps strengthen you as a company. Well, that that was the mindset um, when we went into it. Was we <laughs> there's a book years ago, and I say this to everybody. It's kind of got kind of gotten old internally, but the seven habits of highly effective people. Mm. And I always tell people, I'm only smart enough to remember one of those. And, and that is begin with the end in mind. And honestly, Jay, I think I should have that just absolutely tattooed in my head because it's how my head works now. I, so if you 
if you know what you want to do, you can GPS it backwards. Hmm. And when I started uh, Traffic Builders, which Conduit is the agency division of, um, I said, you know what, our the people, our end user clients don't want vendors. They want partners. That's right. So what, we, and, and that's very easy to say, but what we said was, let's take, let's dissect what it is that they want out of a relationship and what we're going to be able to do well. And then let's build that into our business model. And with Conduit, what we said was our agencies want an ad operations team, not a vendor. They want up here in the New York market, they say one neck to choke, right? We, <laughs> we prefer other terminology, believe me. But We're that's from the South down here, so we don't say things like that. We say things I, like, and I we, say things like that. we say things like bless your heart, but it actually means the same thing. <laughs> right. But I like it better the way you say it. Um, so it, that that one point of contact. Um, where you don't have to herd the cats. That is sometimes vendor management, Yeah, um, it, you know, was what we thought that our agencies would want. So our job is to deliver by tactic. So we've got a manager and a certified team in everything that we provide. And so the, the, the goal for each of these managers that run these teams is to be state of the industry in what they do from the team standpoint, from the execution standpoint, from the delivery standpoint, and from the pricing standpoint, we're a wholesaler. We've got to, you know, our agencies don't want to be pro bono. So we said back then that we want to offer a full suite of products and solutions. And that was when people were saying, you have to niche down, you've got to be the best in this or the best in that. And I, as often have done in my life, just really took a different turn and said, I think they're going to want a team that they don't have to individually hire, that they don't have to, you know, manage virtually, that they can rely on to deliver synergistic campaign performance across whatever tactics they've decided to use. And that's why we built things the way that we did here from the ad operations perspective, rather than the individual tactic or product vendor perspective. Yeah, and that kind of diversification creates so much value in business in general. But like, especially for us as an agency, you know, our model is that our internal team are highly relational. They're leaders, they're managers, they're strategists. And probably, I don't know, four or five years ago, I made the decision to go. You know, we're gonna we're gonna lean on and leverage the the power, knowledge, and strength of a lot of partners to do all kinds of things, whether it's design work, development work, ad strategy management, all, all those kind of things. Because I wanted to be able to provide, I'm not a niche down guy. Like everybody's like, you have to niche down to agree business. I'm like, no, I've done it for 25 years and I haven't. So you do whatever you want, but I, 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 don't, I haven't and it's been fine. Um, but the partner thing is key to us because if you don't do a good job for us, we're not doing a good job for our client. And if we're not doing a good job for a client, they're going to fire us. And that's not going to be very good for anybody. Right. And so there's a there's a intrinsic value in all of us doing a great job together. But what, I like the model, the agency model that we have, because it lets me serve more clients with more services and capabilities without needing to have 200 people who are actually on payroll. Um, so, so far, that's working pretty good. And we're thankful to have partners like y'all to help execute on it. Well, and right back at you, I, you know, the, I think the thing that was interesting is back in the day, um, you know, ad, ad agencies were, you know, they had their creative team on site. They had their media buyers on site. They had their account team on site. 
what didn't they have? The radio station, the television station, the newspaper. So today, I, I, you know, because I go back that far, I think, you know what? Ad agencies today don't necessarily need the ad operations team on site. Right. They need to have trust in the ad operations team that they have. So, and and we've been blessed because it's worked out in that way. And, you know, you have to constantly evolve things like uh, new products, new tactics uh, come up. OTT, when, when that first became a thing, you know, we got into OTT in 2017 because I said, you know, my background was in television. At some point, people are going to be t- buying television through a media buyer online, not through their local TV rep. And we may actually get there relatively soon. But OTT was something that we grew just exponentially. And we dove in. One of the things that's interesting about new products in our space is that inevitably when there's a new product, there's people out there trying to game the system and take advantage of people. So they sell the equivalent of what I would uh, technically call dog shit. And, Mm. And and you know what? We decided from day one with OTT, we're going to be big screen. We're going to deliver. The user experience has to be this way. And we're only going to be on big screen. We're not going to be, you know, a, a, a poor user experience on a mobile device. Just a decision we made. We created white lists. We also created a, a number of blacklists that we just weren't going to run on because they weren't actually geared for humans sometimes. Um, but it is the, you know, we talked about trust when we started this conversation. And I think you have to trust that if if we're going to add a new product, which we constantly look to try and do based on what our agencies are looking for, that it's going to be thoroughly vetted. Yeah. And and uh, also just for uh, context, people don't know what OTT is. Um, it means like over the top advertising for video. So things like Hulu, um, Sling Television, Fire TV, Roku, all, all kind of video platforms that millions and millions of people are watching every single day, but might not be like NBC television on that particular day. Although a lot of the same shows run on Hulu and stuff like that anyway. Um, so it gives two people context of what that actually means. Um, man, so much stuff to think through. Um, man, I'm so encouraged by just hearing your story of just figuring it out. And that's one of the things I heard early on was Kind of sometimes, sometimes you just got to figure it out on the fly, especially in our business. So we're in a we're in an industry, both of us, that is changing. I mean, I would say as fast or faster than any other vertical. Um, there are some others out there, some other tech fields, some some of the finance stuffs moving really fast right now. Some of the medical, anything that's in in tech is moving fast. Um, but how have you adapted over time to be able to handle that kind of pace and and grow a team, manage a team, care for a team that is dealing with that kind of constant change. You know, change is, is one of those things that I've always embraced because I always felt like if you weren't changing, you, you know, you, you weren't moving forward. You weren't, yeah. you were just kind of either running in place or moving backwards. Somebody else was going to change and, and and move past you. So even in the concept of sales, um, you know, I, I always kind of looked at it that way. So change is something I tried to just make the decision to embrace. And, but, that people do not like change. And so it, it and, and so when we look to hire people, we say to them, you know, if, if, if you are, if you're the type of person that needs a lane and to stay on that lane, you're in the, this will not be the right business for you, much less the right company. So we want to make sure that we hire people that will embrace 
a new opportunity and not look at it as, you know, as that type of change. But I started off by telling you that I'm not the hands-on tactician that so many agency owners started out as. Mm. And and so I, I was a marketing guy and who built some teams. And what we've tried to do here is hire people that understand our model, that have the understanding that success for our clients means success for us. Like there's a real win-win opportunity. There's no win, you know, that if you're, if your end user client wins, they, they stay with you. And if you, if they stay with you, you may stay with us. And that's just a great ecosystem to build. So you hire people that understand that. So I don't think it's any great thing that, or any smart thing that I've done is just trying to hire the right people and have them, you know, make sure that they're constantly evolving themselves because our business is just going to continue to change. It's that simple. Yeah. Buckle up, buttercup. It's just how it is. Exactly. (laughs) But you, you don't give yourself much credit, but you know, to to just, to just gloss by the idea of hiring the right people, just just hire the right people. be fine. (laughs) You know, it's like, that's true. But man, hiring the right people is hard. And mm. so over the years, you've hired hired, and unfortunately had to fire um, a lot of people. And you've hired people come and go by their own choice too. So when you hire, uh, this is always a question people ask, what are some things that you've learned that have helped you hire better people? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, back in the sales days, um, there used to be profiles for salespeople. Mm-hmm. And so what you want to do is have that, that human to human communication, but oftentimes those people that are most outgoing get those jobs that they may not be qualified for. So, like I said, I've been in sales my whole life. An analyst here is quite a different human being, you know, in terms of presentation than maybe I would be, or even that I'm comfortable with sometimes. So, what we did was we aligned with a company that had us profile each of the jobs that that here so from uh you know a paid search manager a paid social manager so the management aspect then the analyst aspect the coordinator aspect the director aspect and we profile all of these different positions and then the company that we work with you take that profile and it gives you a match to that position so the place that i like to start is do you have the right dna for the job. Mm-hmm. Because if you're if you're chemically unconstructed to do the job, it's going to unravel. There's and and that's where things are really not going to work because you're asking somebody to do something or be in an environment that they can't keep up with or that they they're not capable of doing. So I think it's DNA assessment first and then it's the it's it's like we talked about earlier. It's talking with that person about real world expectations here and and being on the same platform so that when they start, they know what the job is and what there is expected of them. Yeah. I'm a big fan of all different kind of assessments. Um, uh, Patrick Lencioni who's a, one of my favorite authors just came out with a new one. He calls working genius. And, um, it was funny. He was at an event and he's got these like six letters basically that you, you're, you've got like working geniuses and then kind of the, the things that you struggle with. And I don't, I don't remember them all, but it's like one of them is wonder. One of them is ideation, galvanation, determination, uh, tenacity. I don't know. There's one more. And, um, mine are ideation and galvanation. So he said, he said, you know, you're an IG when you walk into a room and you're like, Hey, 
I've got an idea. It's a great idea, and you're going to love it. <laughs> He's like, that's how you know you're an IG. But my problem in that, like to go back to the source of it, of kind of what the ideas of what you're talking about is, I am very good at that. Like that's a gift for me. But if you put me on, hey, I need you to wrap up all the details of this thing, and there's a there's here's a checklist of, that we go through to make sure this is all right. There's a hundred things on it, and uh, the details really matter here. Yeah. I'm gonna be like, holy smoke, oh, like. That's not going to go well. I'm not good at that. I'm not gifted. Could I do it? Sure. Like, but it's it's going to be absolutely draining to my soul, and I don't want that for myself. So I certainly don't want it for somebody that I'm hiring to put them in a place where they're going to be miserable. It's not going to be good for them or me or the company. You know. I, I totally get that. I mean, the profile that I was just telling you about. Um, my profile was um, he doesn't think outside the box because he doesn't understand that there is a box. <laughs> So, and, and while I could say, well, geez, I like that about me, boy, other people don't Yeah, because we all have to work in some level of a box, right? So you want to, you don't want to have somebody coming in with constant ideas. You want to land the plane. And, and so the thing I love about these profiles are that the more you understand yourself and the more that you understand your team, you start to realize not everybody's built the same. You know, the the, the Bible says treat unto other, you know, treat others. Mm-hmm. I think in sales, it's more like rather than treating people like I want to be treated, let me treat you like you want to be treated, right? That's right. And that and and understanding who they are from an almost a DNA standpoint helps you do that. Mm-hmm. And that was just an aha moment for the younger folks here was that, oh man, we're not all built the same. Like literally this person, their urgency levels out to here or their social levels out to here, their analytical level is here. They're, you know, they're introverted. And so they're not going to, once you realize that this is the way this person is fundamentally constructed, yeah, and you can adjust the way that you work with that person to make that person most comfortable, most productive. Yeah, and that's really a key as it relates to those kind of things. And we're a little rabbit trail on it, but it's so valuable. Is I think the mistake people make is they like uh, one of my favorite version of those assessments is something called the disc. And on the disc, I'm a high D, which means I'm like let's let's just get the thing moving. Let's let's go. You know, not a detail person. And the problem with that is that when I meet with a team member who's a very high C, which is a very high detail person, they need to know all the details. They need to, they need to understand it. They need to have an outline. All the things. Um, I can be very abrasive to them. And the danger for a leader especially is to say, well, look, I'm just a high D. I, I move really fast. You're going to have to get over that. You're not going to get a lot of details from me. That's not the right way to care for people. What I should do is go, okay, I, this is going to be hard for me, but but I need to provide more details to this person because that's what's right for them. And that's kind of what you're talking through. Well, the, the beauty, I think, of, of EOS is that it, it identifies that at a 30,000-foot level. Right. Yeah. So you've got those those entrepreneurial people like you that start a business that are full of ideation that, you know, they, they see better ways and new ways all the time. But then somebody's got to land the plane. It's mm-hmm. got to it's, it's got to work. And I know you have those people. So, yeah, I, thank God I do, because it would be really not going well if I didn't. Um, I, I always like to kind of land the plane with three final questions. So I'm going to just give them to you and then I'll give them to you one at a time. First one's going to be about work life balance. The second one is going to be about final thoughts you want to give people to build a business at last. And the third is where people can find you online. Let's start with the first one. Work-life balance. It means something different to everybody. Some people say it's a myth. We don't need to spend an hour on it. But what does it mean to you, and how has it changed through different seasons of your life? 
Oh boy, that's a great question because I've had a lot of seasons, as you can tell. Uh, there's still a lot of snow <laughs> up top here. Um, it, it, you know, ultimately, I think work-life balance is such an individual thing. I think you and I have actually talked about this, and yeah. I think it's such an individual thing. Um, I I am not a person right now that thinks I'm very balanced in my life, so I don't I don't I don't pretend to be a person that anybody should listen to uh, mm-hmm. in regard to that. You know. I used to like to play golf. I haven't played golf since I started this company. I used to, no one would know it by looking at me, but I, at one point I was pretty athletic and you wouldn't know that. So there's things that I know I need to get back to, to bring the, that some balance into it. I'm not sure you're ever really balanced though. I, mm-hmm. I think there's different seasons. Like I love the seasons word you used. There's different uh, cycles in mm-hmm. everything that you do. And in the biz, in, in the beginning, when you're starting a business and your universe understands that and they've got to be accepting of that or there, there will be problems, but it's not a balance. It's all in it's, it's a hundred miles an hour. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, I think as you get to different stages in your business, you know, what you do to make sure that you feel balanced because balance is at the end of the day, very important. You know, you can't, you can't wear that, uh, you know, the full emotion of being so immersed in your business all the time um, with, with, with your team. So I think finding your own balance is very important. I'm just not particularly good at it right now. So I don't want to espouse on it. <laughs> well, that's okay. I, I think that it's good for people to hear that, you know, it's good for people to hear from somebody who has been in business a long time as you have and have a lot of experience and all kinds of things to go. I don't think I'm very good at this. Like, that's okay. Like it's good to hear that, you know. And um, so I appreciate your your honesty and candor. I say one other thing about uh, about that, Jay. That yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a you know I'm twenty some odd years older than everybody else that works here, and we've been fortunate enough, I think, blessed enough that we've got people who joined us who have gotten married, they've started families, yeah. and you know when I was working at uh, my last corporate job, I was all in. And, you know, I missed some baseball games and I missed those things. And I say to these guys, go to the game. Well, yeah, but I got no, no. Yeah, but you can't get that back. You can't. So I think that, you know, where I try and say to the folks here, take that moment because that moment is not yours to get back. This job that we've got, I can work at 11 o'clock tonight. So I choose. Um, I can catch up to it can't catch up to the game, can't catch up to those things. So those are the things you absolutely don't want to miss because those are the the things you can't get back. Yeah. My son is a senior in high school right now and plays football. And he was debating on if he was going to play football this year or not because of all the other things he wanted to do. And I said, look, here's the thing. You only get one senior year of football. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do, if you even think you want to do it, you probably should do it. Because you can't go back and get it again. You could skip your first, you could take a gap year and not go to college for one year and go start the next year. Or you could start college 10 years later. There's all kinds of things that you can go back and do. You don't get to go back and do your senior year of high school football. So it's that kind of stuff. And, and that's the same thing for me now. Like in this time of year, when we're, while we're recording this podcast, is Friday Night Lights. And so yeah. when he's got a game on a Friday night, there is nothing else that trumps that. Exactly. You know? And yeah. so, you know. And maybe I missed business opportunities because of that. No problem. Yeah. But I'm not going to miss that. Right. You know? And that's, that's what position does he play? He plays uh, free safety this year. So he's nice. loving defense. Yeah. Okay. Nice, nice, nice. 
Last two things, parting advice. Building a business that lasts is hard. A lot of business owners end up feeling stressed out and worn out and ready to quit. Um, what's some some encouragement or wise counsel that you would give them as we depart today? I, I think not to spend too much time um, worrying about things that you can't go back and do anything about. So um, I always like to, uh, you learn through the rearview mirror, but you accelerate, you know, through the windshield. Right. And, and I just want to make sure that, that, that I move forward and do, you know, so if I've identified something that I could do a better job with, or that I didn't do that, I promised I did or whatever else, I, w- I want to make sure that that's corrected. But I think don't dwell on those things that you can't get back or can't do anything about. Um, that's just wasted energy. So I think, and, and the other thing is I came up in sales and what I learned early, I started in door to door sales, selling uh, cable television door to door, which wasn't even a thing when I started selling it. So it, was, it wasn't easy. <laughs> but what I realized was early, like really early, it's math. So I would knock on a door and somebody would just slam it on me. And I would say, oh, nine more to you. Yes. That's right. Like I didn't take it personally. And, and so I don't wear things like business is a prag is, it's pragmatic to me. So I'm, I'm going to do uh, for and with those things that I can impact and I'm not going to dwell on the things I can't, and I'm not going to try and be, you know, I'm not for everybody as a human being. So I don't try to be, you know, I try to be me. And if that's attractive to some people, then that's awesome. And it's not to other people. I would say, don't try and be all things to everybody because it's just too hard at the end of the day to fulfill that mission. For sure. That's a good word. Uh, Where can people find you or your company online? I have uh, become a huge fan of LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. I, I try and engage with people on LinkedIn. So, uh, you know, I would say that on LinkedIn and then our website is conduitdigital.us. Awesome. Well, Tim, thank you so much for being on the show today, sharing your insight and wisdom. It has been a treat. It, for me as well, Jace. Thanks so much. I love talking with you.